This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts, podcast guests, their employers, or affiliates may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Dom Cook, and today we're breaking down an Irish business that has become the global leader in insulation products for buildings. The business is called Kingspan. It was founded in 1965 and has a market cap of some 13 billion euros. If you haven't heard about Kingspan, you've probably been within or at least seen their work. The bulk of their business comes from insulating big commercial new builds. Tesla Gigafactories, Apple's headquarters, the Emirates Stadium in London, all places where you'll find Kingspan's products. And over the years, they've evolved to produce other products that are also designed to help make buildings more energy efficient. To break down this business, I'm joined by Nick Griffin, the founding partner and chief investment officer of Munro Partners. We talk about the ESG tailwinds behind this business, how they've grown through acquisitions and their interesting go-to-market motion. Please enjoy this business breakdown of Kingspan. Nick, sometimes we break down household names on business breakdowns. Kingspan, I'm not sure qualifies as a household name. It'll be new for most of us, but it does play into a number of very important secular themes in the market and the world. So I think the first place to begin with is a little explanation about what Kingspan is, where it operates, and how big of a business it is. Kingspan is effectively a building materials company. It specializes in insulation products, specifically insulation panels. About 80% of its revenues come from insulation. The company's listed in Ireland. It's based in County Cavan, which is actually just outside of Dublin. Today, it operates in roughly 70 countries around the world, has more than 20,000 employees, does roughly 8 billion euros in sales, 600 million net income, and a market cap of just over 13 billion euros. And so while I understand that building materials companies can be quite potentially not as exciting as other stuff you do, this one has some special characteristics that's seen its revenue grow at over 15% KGAR for nearly 30 years. And I'm sure that will come out as we talk about it today. Yeah, that's a great tease for the rest of this conversation. Well, I'm interested in, and that might be the answer, but I'm interested in what attracts an Australian investor to an Irish buildings material company. Yeah, so maybe I'll tell a short story here. I first found the company in 2009. We were coming out of the financial crisis here in Australia as we were around the world. A lot of countries were putting in stimulus packages of certain types. And one here in Australia was an insulation stimulus package, and they did a similar one in Europe. And I think at the time, the key figure that, that caught my attention was the penetration of insulation in commercial buildings and residential buildings. And so if you look across, say, the UK and Europe, roughly 60, 65% of all buildings are insulated. Yet here in Australia, it was in the 20s. In the US, it's in the teens. In fact, it was only 10% at that time, and it's lower elsewhere in the world. And so at the time, those stimulus packages were encouraging people to put insulation in their buildings, and that was mainly around environmental concerns, building efficiencies. And then over time, got to know the company. It's a family-run company that is uniquely positioned to this building efficiency opportunity. And then over the last decade, all we've seen is this continued shift towards net zero targets being set by corporates around the world, whether it's Microsoft or TSMC or Tesla, et cetera. And as they get to those net zero targets, the biggest source of their emission are their buildings, their buildings and the insulation in their buildings. And so this energy efficiency component 
of getting to net zero is something basically every corporate on the planet has now become increasingly focused on over the last 10 years. They publish this in their sustainability reports. And that's ultimately pushed people towards insulation generally and specifically Kingstown's product because it's uniquely positioned to this opportunity. As that penetration of insulation goes up and as climate targets become more meaningful to corporates around the world, they're ultimately looking to buy more and more of Kingspan's products. And so that's what attracted to us initially. And that's how it's grown over this period of time and how it's hit those CAGR revenue rates that I was talking about. That's fascinating. And it brings up an interesting question about whether Kingspan's end markets are residential or more commercial driven. So Kingspan's roughly 60, just under 70% commercial and industrial and just 24% residential. And you know they would argue 85% of their products help with energy efficiency and conversion. So from that point of view, yeah, 80% insulation. They have other businesses in things like light and air and data flooring and roofing that all sufficiently come out of solving the same problem for commercial and industrial customers around the world today. I'm always interested in how a business like this evolved, how its origin story that you're talking about climate change here and how it's helping in that, but it was way ahead of the curve when it comes to helping save the world in some degree. And so where did Kingspan start? How did it begin? And what do we need to know about its history to make sense of the business today? This is where the company gets really interesting from our point of view. Like a lot of companies in Europe, they're effectively family-run companies. Kingspan was in the late 60s by Eugene Murtagh in County Cavern outside of Dublin. This is a classic rags to riches story. He left school at the age of 14. And he had effectively a trailer business, an agriculture trailer business that he built outside the back of the family tavern or pub or bar, as you'd call it in America. And so from that point of view, this first five years of the business is effectively Eugene Murtagh building these agricultural trailers. And over time, the agriculture trailers, they needed to keep things cool or they needed to transport horses, et cetera, et cetera. And that's ultimately a source of insulation panels. And we'll talk about what an insulation panel is versus just insulation that I think we're all used to in a minute, but that's how he got into it. And then over time, he basically continued to move more towards environmental building products, moved more into this insulation panel business, and ultimately grew the business from there. The company IPO'd in the late 80s, market cap of roughly 120 million euros, or punts at the time, which became euros, raised roughly 30 million at that time in the IPO which they used to effectively expand their insulation panel business across Ireland and the UK and then across Europe. And then essentially through their public listing and through a range of acquisitions, they've continued to grow in this business. So effectively move more into insulated panels, which is their key product, continue to buy insulation business off, say, steel companies that are in this business in the first place and integrate it alongside their products, which are ultimately there. So really, the story is about family ownership. It's about innovation and innovating around these core products being an insulated panel and about acquisitions. And as they acquire these different businesses, they enter different markets to ultimately sell their product that they think is superior to the existing product in the marketplace. And effectively, that gets you to the 8 billion euros of sales that they have today and the 13 billion market cap. So you've made effectively 100 times your money since the IPO. And famously, Eugene Murtagh is still there. So Eugene or Gene Murtagh is now in his 80s. He still controls more than 15% of this company. His son, also Eugene Murtagh, or Eugene Murtagh Jr., or Gene Murtagh Jr., has been running the company since 2006. I've met him a number of times over the journey. He's very capable. He's obviously been doing this for quite some time as well. And there is another Gene Murtagh to come below this Gene Murtagh. So from that point of view, this is just a classic European family-run business that's executed well over a very long period of time in a specific industry being insulation and the related products around that. And look, that's the short story. There's obviously lots of fun bits along the way within that. 
What a great story. And I'm sure we'll get to the details as we go through the rest of this conversation. You mentioned insulated panels a number of times, and I think we've got to start there in terms of bringing the product and the business to life a little bit more. For the uninitiated, what is an insulated panel? So like a lot of us and a lot of people listening to this podcast will think about insulation as the big foam bats in their roof. Or if you're in America, some guy comes in and effectively sprays fiberglass into your roof, which eventually creates insulation. Okay. And that is definitely insulation. That is a form of insulation. That's not what Kingspan does. Kingspan is very focused around an insulated panel business and insulated boards. So an insulated panel is effectively, it's either a polyurethane or some sort of mineral compound, basically poured as liquid between two hard surfaces, be it either steel or plywood or something in between. So what that means is the panel can effectively bear weight. So rather than just be foam, your insulation effectively becomes your wall, if that makes sense, or becomes your roof. So these products are very useful to architects who are trying to design buildings or structures that ultimately where they want to include the insulation in it. So a simple example would be a data center or an Amazon e-commerce facility is effectively a big warehouse. You need to keep it insulated. You want to put it up quickly. So you would put panels in the wall. They would be the wall, but they'd also be the insulation at the same time. The other part of their business is insulated boards, which is effectively the middle bit, but without the load bearing bit. And that would go in a building where you decide the load bearing to be different. So you'd put it into the wall and then put a cladding around it. That's effectively 80% of what they do. And so what Kingspan's done is it's been incredibly good at making these products. They obviously make the best insulated panels in the world in terms of thermal efficiency and also been very good at selling direct to consumers. So they sell these panels direct to the architects, if that makes sense. So they don't go through a distribution group. They go directly to the architects. And so if you look around the world, you will find Kingspan insulation panels Let's start here. You'll find them on the MCG here in Melbourne. You would find them on the Emirates Stadium in London. You would find them on the London Olympic Stadium. You'd find Kingspan insulation panels on the Apple headquarters in Cupertino. You'd find them on the Tesla Gigafactory. In fact, you find them on every single Tesla Gigafactory. And so from that point of view, they're perfectly designed, as you can see, for architects that are trying to design unique structures that can bear weight. And that's essentially where an insulated panel goes. And You'll find the Kingspan ones on all the best buildings because they have this relationship with the architects and they also build the best insulated panels. And the last thing I should probably say here is when I say they build the best insulated panels, my key product today is called Quadcore. It's effectively got better thermal efficiency than any other product out there. So coming back to my initial point, when Tesla or Apple or Microsoft are looking at doing their building versus 10 years ago, thermal efficiency is more important to them than it was, say, 10 years ago. They're ultimately being drawn towards Kingspan's products over their competitors. And if I think about all those buildings that you mentioned in stadiums, they all come in varying shapes and sizes. So when the architect is working with the person buying the building, does Kingspan make to order? Are they making these products in the specification that the architect wants or do they come pre-made? How does that relationship work? It's a mixture of all of the above. So clearly they make them pre-made. And clearly a good chunk, a third of their product ends up in just standard distributors. So at the end of the day, it is a building materials company. So there are distributors, there are people buying the product in so many different countries around the world. But on top of that is this direct sell to these marquee type projects where they're dealing with an architect and they're ultimately trying to fill an order book and build loyalty in their products with the different architects around the world. So yes, they can cut in different shapes and sizes and ultimately give the architect what they're looking for. So what we're seeing in the business, particularly over the last five years, is their standard business would have, say, a visibility of, say, three months in terms of what their distributors are ordering and what they can and what's in their order book. But they have this marquee order book that's getting bigger and bigger and with much more visibility. And this is particularly prevalent in the last five years in America. 
we're getting more and more of these marquee projects that I mentioned. And what goes into making the best insulation products in the world? Is it they have patents on the chemicals or is it just the chemical mix and just they've been doing this for a really long time? So if anyone wants to enter the market today, they've got a lot of history to work through first. So it's a bit of all of the above there. There is a patented mix, to be honest. So the the company is not very big in China for that very reason, because they haven't felt comfortable their patented mix would be looked after. Secondly, obviously, they have to continually move forward the whole time. So Quadcore took over from the product prior to that. I'm afraid the name escapes me. And beyond Quadcore, we've got OptumCore coming. So there is a race to make better and better insulated panels. So that in terms of the mix. The other thing is really... I talked a lot about acquisitions before. Acquisitions is a big part of what this company does. Mainly, they're doing acquisitions to enter a market. So they're buying an existing player, like an existing insulation player, say here in Australia or in the United States or in continental Europe or Eastern Europe. And they're selling those existing products, but then they're also introducing their products on top of that. So there is a little bit of secret sauce in how they change the manufacturing line, how they get that manufacturing line to build their higher end products, and then how they bring those products to market in terms of a sales organization. Last thing I should say, it's not just insulation panels now. They have moved over time into other insulation types, be it wood firm insulation, different types of recycled insulation on housing, for instance, is one of their latest acquisitions. They've moved into the Nordics around Celius insulation. And importantly, they've also moved into adjacencies like light and air, where they're putting skylights in buildings. If you look at the NVIDIA head office, it's effectively by the skylights. So skylights in buildings to make them more thermal efficient. And then roofing is also an area, membranes and roofing. And lastly, industrial insulation around pipe heating and cooling, so around pipes, et cetera. Those are the other adjacencies they're in. And lastly, they have a data and flooring business as well. And the idea is ultimately to be able to sell that architect, as I talked to you about before, and more of a complete solution around hitting that thermal efficiency target that they're looking for and be able to give them more warranties around being able to do that. That makes a ton of sense. And you mentioned earlier the insulation boards as well. And as I understand it, that's more of a residential product, although they also sell those into commercial space. And then the other distinction I want to make is between new builds and retrofitting older buildings. What maybe the different dynamics are there and how much they do of each? So great question. So the insulation board business, which is about 20% of the business, which is just the board without the steel either side, you're right, 50% of that goes to residential and 50% goes to commercial. And then in terms of new build, we're 77% new build as of last year and 23% refurbishment. So residential across all the industries, if you split it out, is roughly 24% of the business today. And is that something that they're looking to change? Or are they quite comfortable with that split? Are there benefits to doing either? Yeah, I think if you go back in the history of the company back in 2008, they probably had effectively a near-death experience after the financial crisis, and they were probably overexposed to residential at that time. And since 2008, they've been progressively moving more towards commercial industrial, more towards direct sales to architects, and more towards these higher-end products. But they are definitely filling out a matrix of different products that they can sell to different places. They recognize that you know, their latest acquisition in Germany is a residential recycled insulation product. So that they are filling out the different adjacencies as they go. But I think you can ultimately think of it as predominantly commercial industrial, and I don't think that'll change. And then all this talk of acquisitions makes me think of the industry and the characteristics generally of the industry. What does that look like? How much market share do they have, particularly in their core product? And what really are the vectors of competition? Is it just energy efficiency throughout their suite of products? So this is where it does get a little bit hard. So yeah, the acquisitions are effectively to get into new markets. And as I said, they're in 70 countries today in terms of where they sell, but they're probably only about 20s to 30s of where they produce the product. 
that's the main part of where the acquisitions go. This is the part of the secret sauce of the company. Effectively, it's a family-run organization still to this day. They're very forward-thinking in how they move into these different markets and acquire businesses. And then they ultimately let the management team, they would say it as they unshackle the management team, if that makes sense to a certain extent, to grow in the Kingspan way. And then they align the management team with Kingspan stock, et cetera, et cetera. And so from that point of view, this acquisition strategy a long time ago would be to buy insulation companies off producers out of steel companies. So remember I said an insulation board has got steel aside. A lot of steel companies were in this business. So think of Arcelor, think of Tissen Group, think of CRH, which is more a building materials company. They've all sold businesses to Kingspan over the last 10 to 15 years. In the US, Nucor is probably one of their bigger competitors at the moment in an insulation panel. And between Nucor and Kingspan, they control a large chunk of the market. In other areas, just to flag in terms of competition, there are other building materials companies in the insulation generally, but they're all, as I said, in all those other types of insulations I talked about. So Rockwell's in Mineralville, Sangaban is across different products. Owens Corning in the US is very much in this fiberglass stuff I talk about, but they're not actually direct competitors of Kingspan. Kingspan is an insulation panels if we just focus on that. Kingspan is the dominant provider and most of their competitors most of the time are steel companies. And then in terms of pricing for something like this, how does that generally work? What's the mechanism? Is it pricing per square foot of insulation? Or is it if they're working closely with the architects, is it an overall cost and they're taking a percentage of the building? What does that look like? Again, this is where it's not as exciting as maybe some of your <laughs> other grades that you go through in terms of mass economies of scale. This is a building material product. So you're talking gross margins in the 30% range, operating margins in the 10% range. You're selling lots of different products at lots of different sizes to lots of different people across the planet. Essentially, your input costs are important, but the company's shown a very good ability to pass that on over time, particularly with your Dozer's three-month order book situation. And then on these bigger projects, they're a little bit closed door as to how those are actually priced and how they think about that. But having followed the company, as I said now, for nearly 13 or 14 years, their ability to keep those margins around 10% is incredibly consistent. And their ability to hold their gross margins is incredibly consistent. But you are effectively trusting them as an operator to manage this. And they've managed this for a very, very long period of time. And I guess the thing to underscore there is just that the raw material input costs, whether it be steel or some other chemicals that are going into their products, generally will see price fluctuations and probably increases above and beyond the rate at which they can maybe pass through price rises to their customers. Is that true? Or is your point, they've actually been very good at being able to pass through and they've got pricing power? In the short term, it definitely does happen on quarter to quarter basis. But over the medium term, they're incredibly consistent at keeping this 10% plus operating margin environment. And it's important to stress that obviously these prices move in different countries. So they're very geographically diversified. So it all sort of just flows through as far as we can tell over a long period of time. So short term, yes. Long term, you've got to think about this company, as I said right at the start, in terms of the penetration of insulation, which continues to go up over time, which obviously drives their organic sales and then their ability to acquire and enter new countries with their new product and to take share. And to ask a very stupid question that I was thinking about earlier in the conversation, you mentioned some of the rates at which buildings are insulated. And I think they're probably lower than I might have assumed. Building insulation seems like you do it in countries that are cold to keep the building warm. But I presume also when it's hot, it also helps to some extent. Is it regulation that generally has meant that some countries, I think you said the UK has higher insulation levels than other countries, or is it more to do with temperature? So obviously, the colder climates have higher penetration rates than the warmer ones. But also, the US, for instance, they have, quite frankly, different building techniques. You're basically replacing concrete a lot of the time. You're more expensive than concrete, but you're ultimately more flexible. You can move the walls, for instance, and you're more thermal efficient. 
terms of roofing in particular, there's different ways to do roofs in the US, as they say, in Europe, et cetera, and without getting into too much complication. But it ultimately comes down to the way buildings have been built for a long time in different countries. But from our point of view, I think the thing you've got to think about here is if you're Starbucks, for instance, or if you're Microsoft, or if you're Tesla, you're effectively publishing a sustainability report every year now. You've told your investors you're going to be net zero by a certain point at some point in the future. And so every time you publish the sustainability report, the emissions that your footprint has to go down every single year. And 40% of your emissions come from energy efficiency. And so you've got this situation now where you've got most companies in the world will not move into a building unless it's six-star energy rated. So Lendlease here in Australia won't build a building unless it's six-star energy rated. So you just have this natural penetration uplift. I mentioned at the start, the US is roughly 10% penetrated. When we first looked at this company, that's crossed 20% now. So it's been moving at about 1% a year since the first time we looked at the company. And if anything, that penetration rate's accelerating. One of the things that struck me when I was looking while doing research for the business is how well they've expanded geographically over the last 20 odd years. In 2005, I think the stat was that 80% of the business was selling into the UK and Ireland. And now it's almost the reverse. And now they're just doing 20% of their business in their home market, if you like, and the rest of it is international. And I guess to your point, it's largely been through acquisition that they've been able to build that out. So it's a combination of acquisitions and organic development. So they would buy to get the footprint to do foothold in the country. So there's been acquisitions in Brazil. There's been acquisitions here in Australia. There's been acquisitions in Colombia. There's been acquisitions in Eastern Europe. And then ultimately, once they're there, they would build the facilities, add the quad core plant on top, add the other facilities that they need to basically increase their penetration. And then lastly, obviously, I'm sure this will come up, but this family ownership issue is still super important to their DNA how the family and how the management team continue to acquire these businesses and then get these businesses to perform at, quite frankly, such a better level, both organically, but also profitability-wise, is astounding. And it comes back to, as I said, that 30-year track record that I talked about. They've done this from effectively 30 million euros of sales all the way to 8.3 billion, yet they've never really bought anything that had much more than 500 million in sales. And most of the time, they're buying things that have less than 100 million in sales. So it is this amazing secret sauce that you do get with these family-run businesses, particularly in Europe. Is there any of that secret that you can share with us in terms of from what you've seen, how they've been able to do that? Because as you say, it is remarkable over a long stretch of time as well. And you assume as businesses get bigger, it just becomes harder and harder to do. The thing I'd point to, I'd say two things. One, they did have that edit experience back in 2008, where they effectively took on too much debt. And they talk about it a lot when you talk to them. So it's still very prevalent in their mind. A fresh scar all the way back here in 2022. So they're very keen to keep the leverage below 1.2 times EBITDA, and it's currently 1.4 times. So they're very keen to keep the leverage down. And so they're very disciplined on that front. They're also incredibly disciplined with the price they pay. So you'll quite regularly see them not let things go that they don't want to buy because of this near-death experience they had back in 2008. So they're very disciplined on that front. They're very disciplined on return on capital employed. So despite all these acquisitions, the return on capital employed of this business is still hovering around 15%. And they've managed to hold that even with the amortization that they have of the things they buy. So those would be a couple of things. The other thing inside, apparently, there's very few people working on these acquisitions. So there's a very small group of people involved in each one from what we gather internally. And then lastly, most importantly, when they do buy a business, they would tell us that they would turn up and say, hey, guys, what do you want to do? What have you always wanted to do with this business? How would you make it better? And they support these businesses. So in many cases, they continue to trade in certain products under their same name, and then other products are out of the Kingsand products are added in. Or in most cases, obviously, they leave the existing management team there and maybe add some of their product and add some of their skills on top. So they're very 
open around that. And again, I said, this is not uncommon in Europe, whether it's Eurofins or DeLonghi in Italy, and obviously most famously in Louis Vuitton, which I know you guys have previewed as well. So from that point of view, this is not uncommon and is repeatable over a long period of time. And these guys have proved it for a long period of time. And same people are involved as we're in the second gene is still, I believe, in his 40s. And there's another gene to come after that. So from our point of view, we feel that they can continue to do this for a very long period of time. And outside of just the penetration uplift, that there's obviously going to come through, particularly in the United States. Unlike LVMH, it looks like succession has been well and truly planned in this instance. You talk about their acquisitions, and it sounds like they're reasonably decentralized, which makes me think about the economies of scale as the business has grown and they've been able to channel more product through different places. How much are they able to achieve on that side of things? Has their buying prowess increased as they've been able to grow or because each piece that they've bolted on has remained relatively independent? Has that meant that their economies of scale has maybe not been as big as you might assume? I'd say it's more the latter. The economies of scale are not as big as what you assume because every region is domestically different in terms of how they source products, et cetera, and how they build products. I think what they've proved over a long period of time is their go-to-market strategy is working. This 66% direct going to architects particularly is working and allowing them to separate themselves from the building materials industry to a certain extent. And no more is this prevalent today at the moment, whereby ideally we are effectively, you would assume we're in a commercial property recession, if that makes sense, or things would be slowing. But in everything, they've actually continued to grow through 2020, through 2023. So if you ever wanted a better example of the structural growth of the industry that we're looking at is the fact that this company has grown through 2022 and grown through 2023. And they're doing that mainly at the moment because of the penetration of their products in the US and mainly because of these marquee projects around the Chips Act or whether the Tesla Gigafactories, et cetera, et cetera. And that vindication of their strategy of how they go to market and how they grow. In terms of economies of scale, though, they're very keen and at least the 12 years I've spoken to them, that you should think of the margins of this business at 10%. And that's where we try to keep it as we continue to grow across different areas. So yes, the margins will be higher in some places, but that uplift is being spent on continuing to grow on different parts of the world. You've talked a bit about it there and you talked about their near-death experience in 08. How cyclical is this business? Obviously, they've got some structural tailwinds in terms of the energy efficiency and climate change behind them. But ultimately, they're still selling into people building new structures, which is going to be cyclical to some extent. So how cyclical has it been? And how well have they been able to manage that through different periods? They're getting better at it. Let's be clear, this is building materials. It's a cyclical industry. It's just there's nothing you can do to change that. But they are definitely getting better at it. As I said, they learned lessons from 2008. If you go back through previous cycles, downturns in sales of earnings have been minimal. And often that's with holes plugged by acquisitions but still been minimal. And this last cycle in particular, well, virtually no downside to sales so far or earnings through this period. So it's definitely getting better over time, but their share price is in the building material sector. So it ultimately does track that to a certain extent. People don't believe them as much as what their results actually show. Yeah, that makes sense. And if we take a look at the quantitative lens, I guess, what when you go through the financial profile of this business strikes you as particularly interesting or important that we should discuss? So from our point of view, it's really that revenue growth that makes the big difference to us. Ultimately, when we look at the financial profile of this business, it starts with revenue, which is, as I said, compounded at 17% per annum for 30 years. And it's even compounded at 15% per annum in the last 10 years. So it's not like big things in the previous period. So that revenue growth, which is driven by a combination of acquisitions and organic growth, basically flows through the P&L. And as that flows through the P&L, it ultimately gives you the double-digit earnings growth. Lastly, the cash flow dynamics effectively are pretty good. So effectively, earnings equal cash flow over time. So that cash flow 
pays down the debt that they do for the acquisitions, which they ultimately recycle to do more acquisitions. So this has been the winning formula for some time, all while keeping returns on capital employed in the 13 to 15% range. If you're looking for a dividend, that's probably not there. At the moment, it's quite small. And then multiple-wise, interestingly, the company does trade at a small premium to, say, the building materials sector, so trading at usually around 20 times earnings or 11 times EBITDA. But that financial profile or that financial model continues over the medium term. And that is really just the compounding of that that ultimately gets you the return on the investment you're looking for, because it ultimately compounds at a much faster rate than what everyone thinks they will, because people, analysts, basically don't model acquisitions generally over time, and they come in. And secondly, analysts usually underestimate the organic growth over time, which is actually, we suspect under the surface here, getting better. You talked about revenue growth being 15 to 18% there pretty consistently. How would you split that out in terms of inorganic and organic growth? Great question. So it's probably two-thirds inorganic and one-third organic. From that point of view, it's important to stress that the continued acquisitions are important to keeping that double-digit revenue growth through time. If not, it'll slow to mid-single digits or potentially slightly higher if penetration accelerates in the next 10 years above what it did in the previous 10 years. And I think there's a reasonable argument to suggest that will occur. And I think the company is already investing for that through some of their organic investments. So it's important to stress that, yes, there are acquisitions here, but yes, there's organic investments happening at the same time. And so if anything, the next decade, if you think about it, should be better for Kingspan than the last one. And that's, I suppose, what we like so much about the business. And do they generally use most of their excess cash that they earn to fund acquisitions? You talked about they don't really pay much of a dividend at all. I think that seems to be a state today. It's not like you should be expecting that that to grow. We're going to keep funding the inorganic growth that we can find, as well as some of the organic stuff that you talked about. And we should probably talk about this. Yes, there's the inorganic growth that we talked about. There's the organic growth we talked about around insulation. And then there is the adjacencies. Okay, so in the last five to 10 years, They've moved into the other adjacencies. And so this is where, again, I do think the next 10 years for Kingspan will be better than the last 10. So they've moved into things like technical insulation. What's technical insulation? Technical insulation is the stuff you put around the pipes, the heating pipes in your building to effectively stop them losing heat. They've moved into light and air, which is effectively skylights in buildings. No, people wouldn't have thought of putting a skylight in a building before. Now it's commonplace. They've moved into roof membranes. Roof membranes are important particularly important if you try to put a garden on the roof or you try to grow grass on the roof of your building. And these are things that people are trying to do now. They've moved into water management, et cetera. So light and air water management. And then lastly, they've got their data flooring business, which is actually the largest data flooring business in the world. And they've actually had that for quite a long time. And so these adjacencies are, again, it points to the forward thinkingness of the management team in our view, is basically seeing what the best operators or the best commercial building operators are doing and saying, well, guess what? The other building guys are going to do this as well. And we deal with these architects already. So we should either acquire the business that's doing this on this building already. And secondly, once we've acquired that, then basically following the same playbook that we did with installation panels and acquire other players around the world, increase the technical specification of the products, which ultimately means that you have a better suite to offer the architect going forward. And the last thing, just a flag here, that's super important that you're going to see more and more of is warranties. So when you build a six-star energy building and Microsoft moves in or we move in or someone moves in, if it doesn't perform to its capabilities, then that's a real problem. It's a real problem for the tenants. There's recourse, et cetera, et cetera. So as the specifications get bigger and better, that's going to favor Kingspan products over time because the customer is actually 
the simple and the silly way to think about this is you used to complain to the person who looked after your building about the lights and the air conditioning not working or not happy with the security guy downstairs. And now you're going to complain to them about the thermal footprint that the building has and that it's not in line with what you promised. And that's a completely different conversation to one we had five or 10 years ago. And so that's why we do think the next decade looks better for them. But how much visibility does Kingspan or any of these other businesses have over that? Is it fairly certain that if we put this product in, we're going to see this type of efficiency out of that building? Or is it quite variable depending on the chemical composition or the location? So Kingspan does have warranties already. Roughly 20 or $30 million a year does go out for products that didn't perform at spec. And this is obviously something they continually work and improve on over time. How does that relate to the Grenfell Tower disaster that happened in London a few years ago? When you read about the business, it strikes me as one of the biggest risks. What impact has or could that have? Yeah, so not necessarily a warranty issue, but it's important to recognize that something we should talk about when we talk about Kingspan is, look, back in 2017, the Grenfell Tower block in North Kensington, West London caught fire. And ultimately, the fire spread outside the outside of the building through the cladding and through the installation. This was a huge tragedy. 72 people died. It was the largest incident in the United Kingdom outside of Piper Alpha. Um, Kingspan got embroiled in this tragedy mainly because their insulation boards were installed in part of the building underneath the cladding. And so when the inquiry looked into how this happened, Kingspan, as one of the only listed companies in this process, effectively got dragged through the mud a fair bit here. From our point of view, it's important to recognize here that this was an insulation board on this building, not an insulation panel. And so somewhat counterintuitively, insulation panels are actually popular because they are fire resistant. In this case, it's an insulation board, which is the one without the steel on the outside. And it was installed incorrectly underneath the cladding, and it was installed not in the regulations that Kingspan would like it to be installed, and it was also installed on a building of height that Kingspan would not normally install it on. So the companies defended themselves fairly vigorously against this. The inquiry finished over a year ago, but is still yet to hand down its findings in January. And there's an ongoing saga with the UK Home Affairs Minister trying to get some of these companies to pay to get the cladding fixed on a number of other buildings. And Kingspan quite rightly says, we have nothing to do with the cladding. We were just the insulation on this product. So that's just what Grenfell is. That's why it's important. And it's just important that people know that this is an ongoing inquiry and we'll get the results back in January. But ultimately, we feel that there's potentially a small fine to be paid here. And I think the company can move on. And finally, when we think about Grenfell Tower and the companies involved in it, this is ultimately an ESG issue. It's an ESG issue that's proved fairly significant for the company over the last three years. It's definitely calmed down in the last year or so. It's something that our own responsible investment officer has looked at, and he's fairly comfortable with. But we recognize that other people potentially have different views. And I'd just encourage people to look at the company's website if they're interested, because there's a lot of information out there to help you form your own views on their involvement in this particular tragedy. Yeah, well said. And if we think about the other costs in the business as well that are worth discussing... How capital intensive is this business? It seems to me like it could be, but I'm also not sure. Yeah, not really. So from that point of view, they're spending probably four to 500 million on organic projects over a number of years. The actual capex is slightly lower than that. So what they're doing here is building, as I said, these plants or these production lines for making that quad core product, as opposed to the stuff that they buy, which is already existing facilities, et cetera. So the capex is not that big. The maintenance capex is not that big. And it points to, as I said, the gross margins being not that high. It's product in, turn it insulation, product out, collect the margin. If we were projecting 10, 15 years out and we come back and have the same discussion, what would you expect Kingspan's product mix to look like? At 80% of the moment comes through their insulated products that we've talked about. 
at some length and you've got these smaller divisions, the data center seems like a structural area that should be growing nicely. Would you expect those four or five different divisions to look roughly similar? Or would you still expect the insulated part of this business to be far out in excess of the rest of the company? From our point of view, they would show a slide showing the envelope of an entire building and that they want to be on that envelope. So they want to be in the light and air side of it. So the screen on the roof, they want to be in the membrane of the roof, they want to be in the insulation board. So I think over time, insulation would drop down towards 60% over time, and these other businesses would hopefully get up to 40% over time. But ultimately, I'd come back to what I've said earlier, it will be commercial industrial, and it will be booming more and more direct, and it will try to move up the curve. The other thing to say is you look at their highest insulation product, which is quad core, which is their most thermal efficient. It's roughly a quarter of the insulation panel sales today. And at insulation boards, the same product's called Cool Therm. Again, it's roughly a quarter. You'd want to see that going up over time as well, which meant they were selling higher and higher margin products to higher and higher margin customers. And the rest of the business is roughly similar gross margins and operating margins as the insulated business, or are they structurally more advantaged? Thank you. Good question. Yeah. So margin-wise, let's just go down the scale really quickly. The insulated panel business is the highest margin at roughly 11 to 12%. Insulation boards is not far behind that, but is more cyclical. And if you look at the light and air roofing and waterproof roofing business, which are the newest businesses, they're still in the mid-single-digit margins with the goal to grow them towards 10. And here you're backing the management team to do that. But in a couple of these areas, they literally just entered with acquisitions. The dating and flooring business is actually the highest margin business, but it's been around a very long time at 14%. And that's essentially, that gets you to that 10% or slightly above 10% number. Again, they would be very clear that they don't expect the margins of this business to get much above 12 through the cycle, because what they do make an extra margin in developed areas where they've developed, they will invest in going into new areas and new adjacencies. And that's really been the model for as long as I've known this company. And to be fair to them, they've stuck to it pretty truly. They don't really like to let the operating margins to get too high. Is any of this story to do with going back and redoing buildings that they've done? What's the life cycle or the half-life of their insulated products specifically? In the Apple building, for example, that you mentioned at the beginning, in 10 years' time, do they have to go back and redo it? Or is it 30, 40-year product? And so once it's in, it's going to be there for, for a long time. It should be there for a long time. So like I said, it's 77% new build from that point of view. It should be there for a long time. It is, again, important to flag that if you look at this UK problem that happened with the Grenfell Tower, the government in the UK is keen to reclad a lot of buildings in the United Kingdom and hand that bill to some companies that they feel culpable. And that's definitely an ongoing conversation with Kingspan and other builders in the United Kingdom. But ultimately, no, it all goes on new build. And then a lot of these buildings, it's important to flag, they're very low rise. Okay. So most of them, again, coming back to Grenfell, it never should have been on a building that big anyway. Most of them are low rise buildings. So think data centers, think e commerce facilities, warehouses, think battery facilities, think stadiums. That's where their product goes. It's not really going on. It is on some office towers, but it's more going on buildings at a lower rise. So from that point of view, those buildings, once we're done with them, they ultimately get pushed over and rebuilt, if that makes sense. They didn't rebuild Highbury, as far as I can tell. They <laughs> the Emirates, And they generally go down again and go up again. Yeah, it's probably good business as well for Kingspan. You've mentioned Grenfell a couple of times, and we talked a bit about the cyclicality of the industry. What else do you think about when you consider the risks that relate to this business in particular? What keeps you up at night that you could point to? I think the core business is a proven track record of growing over a long period of time. And I think it will continue. From our point of view, the thing that has changed in the last five years is these adjacencies that they've moved into. 
And they would bristle at this, that you would say, oh, because you can't, we've run out of acquisitions and insulation. I don't think that's true, but if you take them at their word, and I think you can have it over a long period of time, as they've seen a good opportunity here and to add their skill set and to add what they can sell to architects inside that warranty issue that I talked about that's getting bigger and bigger. So, But from our point of view, they're not proven that they will get to the same margins as the existing business, so that would keep us up at night. Grenfell, I flagged, that's still a remaining issue, but hopefully goes away in January, and I suspect it will. And then lastly, yeah, the family ownership. The family ownership has stayed incredibly stable for a long period of time. It is, as I said, 16% of the company. Eugene Sr. is 15% of that 16, and he has five children, and I believe only two of them are in the company. So there may be an issue there down the track as well in terms of succession. So from that point of view, but otherwise, knowing this company for a long time, its share price might be that stable, but how they run the business is incredibly stable and have done for a long time. And you're generally talking to the same people every time you see them. And they're very hands-on managers. They have a business here in Australia, so they come see us in Australia when they come down. So the actual business is in much more stable than the industry that they're in. And that's, I think, their gift that they've managed to bring to it over such a long period of time. Yeah, the consistency shows. And if we think about the secret sauce, and I think you've talked about all of it, I just want to wrap a bell on it. So if we think about their ability to do acquisitions, Bell, see their product development, they've got the best in the market, particularly in the insulated division. And then I guess there's family ownership. Is there anything else that you'd point to as being one of the key markers of your investment or interest in the business? I go back to what I said right at the very start, and I think it's important. So, okay, why is insulation penetration in commercial buildings in the high teens in the United States? Okay, it makes no sense. If they're effectively signing the same sustainability points as the European companies are, then that penetration is going to increase. And if anything, it's going to accelerate. And so again, I go right back to what I said at the start. This company came to my attention because of how uniquely positioned they are for that opportunity. The family ownership and the secret source, all that came later. All that came having got to know them over a long period of time. And so if you ask them directly, the CHIPS Act, these new chip facilities that are built in the US, Tesla Gigafactories, Microsoft data centers, Amazon data centers, their relationship with these customers is getting better and better. So the best companies in the world design Kingspan products into their buildings. And the best companies of the world are moving into these different adjacencies. So Kingspan's moving into them. And so from our point of view, this company is uniquely positioned. And the reason why it's uniquely positioned is because the family that runs this company that's basically come from an agricultural trailer business into environmental products and then continued to roll that same game forward is still running the show today and is still moving into these different adjacencies. And then I suppose the last point I'd make and the reason why we still like it and happy to talk about it on this call is some of this has only just started. So this US penetration story that they keep talking about literally only started in the last year or two. So in theory, part of the reason we bought, having looked at this company for a long period of time, we've been waiting for this moment for, in some cases, a decade. And for the first time in the last year or so, they're starting to say, actually, we're starting to see us slightly separate some of these decisions from this simple building cycle. And they're finally, that structural characteristic is starting to come through. And it's particularly going to see it in the US. And hopefully that continues to be the success story of the company going forward. When you come to modeling that business and thinking about valuation, I'm not looking for a number here at all, just more interested in your preferred method for it. You said a lot of the sell side analysts don't include any acquisitions. How do you think about putting together a reasonable framework to get you to a ballpark price? So from our point of view, we forecast the earnings. We're using the earnings. You could do EBITDA as well or cash flow. All three would work fine. We forecast the earnings going forward. We pick a multiple. In our case, the company's averaged roughly 20 times since inception, which is a premium, I know, to a building materials company, but a premium I think deserved. And you effectively do earnings times multiple equals share price target. 
you can make it more complicated than that if you want to. But that's what's worked for us for a long period of time with this company because of that compounding characteristic I talk about. And the other thing that's important, obviously, unlike some of the other prints, this is a small company, still only a 14 billion euro company today. So from our point of view, the runway for growth is still long and you should treat it like a growth company, not necessarily a value company or a buildings materials company. And we're a growth manager, so that's what we do. Fascinating. I guess one question that sprung to mind there is to do with competitors. Which competitors do you watch most closely? as it relates to your interest in Kingspan? So this is a good one. You can look at Rockwell in Denmark, which is a different type of insulation, but ultimately will give you an indication of what the European environment is like. Main competitor in the US in insulation panels is actually Nucor, which is a steel company, but similar to what they've competed with previously. And you could look at Owens Corning in the US as a competitor on the cycle, but not necessarily a competitor on products. And then the last one that's probably lifted their game a bit in the last few years and definitely potentially will move into these higher end products over time is Saint-Gabin in France, which is much more of a residential company and much more of a broad building materials company, but has aspirations here. And for a long time there, we always thought Saint-Gabin would buy Kingspan, but we don't think that's the case anymore. So I think that opportunity has passed, but that's a bigger competitor in Europe that's much more broad based, but ultimately talking about a lot of the same things that Kingspan's talking about now. Whereas for a long time there, Kingspan was the only one talking about this stuff and no one else was talking about it. Now, obviously, Climate's more in vogue, more companies are talking about it, more companies are doing it. And so to a certain extent, more people are now looking at what they're doing and we expect more competitors to come along over time. Naturally. Nick, well, this has been a really fascinating discussion, not a business that I was very familiar with at all, but I've really been interested in learning about it, both from the macro story and also just the company itself. What over the past 12, 13, 14 years of you studying this business and following them speaking to the management team, what have you learned? from them that you could tell other investors or operators that would help them in their careers? So from our point of view, and I'm sure you see this in a lot of the business breakdowns you do, is, and it's the same in building materials as the same in dot-com businesses, is alignment is everything. This company is a family-run company. The family still controls the company. And that alignment, not just at the family level, but at the senior management level, and then all the way through their staff, literally thousands of employees are Kingspan shareholders. So the company has been very good at maintaining that alignment within their all-tip programs amongst senior management and also amongst the staff. And that alignment also extends to the companies that they buy. And that ultimately allows them to outmaneuver their competitors, which in this case has mainly been steel companies and large building material companies, which quite frankly don't have the same alignment. So it's, I suppose, the same secret sauce that you see in the tech industry works in the building materials industry. It's just your competitors aren't doing it as well. So it's actually easier to outmaneuver them. And I think that's definitely what Kingspan's done best over the 10 years we've been following. Yeah, it's a simple, but very powerful message. Was it that Charlie Munger says, tell me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. I think that rings true for most businesses. Look, it's pretty much the same in every company we ever look at. We're obviously growth investors. People don't think we buy build materials companies. We do. Why? Because they've got the secret ingredients we're looking for, which is the compounding revenue growth, the compounding earnings growth, and the alignment to suggest it can continue. And the structural driver in the background being decarbonization that helps it happen. So that's why we like this company. And yeah, it's been a pleasure talking about it with you for an hour. Amazing composition. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Really appreciate it. and very excited to share with everyone. Thanks very much. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com.